Good morning. Last week, we were in the uh, Matthew, uh, what, what's kind of known as the farewell discourse in the gospel according to Matthew. And I mentioned to you that we would be in John's farewell discourse this week. So this week, we're in John chapter 14. Now, just a couple of things about it. Um, one, that it's, it's known as the farewell discourse. So when Jesus says, this is where I'm headed, and there's some questions back and forth, but this is when he promises to send the paraclete the counselor, the spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit. All the same, just different names for uh, the same person of the Godhead. And, but there's a, to me, there's a verse in here that we often just skim right by. And I, it was, uh, I'm trying to think, Loie, Lo, uh, Loie DeVries' um, funeral, and then uh, Larry Guter's funeral, and then both of the Riggs funerals, there's been something popping up it from this from this verse. And so I committed last week to work on it this week. Now, I'm going to tell you one thing about the message today. Um, I, I'm not usually a manuscript preacher. I'm a better speaker than I am a reader. Um, but it, there's just too much here for me to keep it all straight in this 57-year-old brain. So if you see me looking down more, it is rehearsed, but if you see me looking down more and that's not your style, it's not mine either. Um, but there's some really, I believe, some really good stuff in here, and it's all biblical. So uh, I'm going to offer prayer, and we're going um, to read this passage from John chapter 14, and then uh, I will put my head down, and we'll go and see what happens. Let's pray. Lord, you're God, and we're not, and we are so very thankful for that, even though sometimes we don't act like it. Lord, you are the giver of all good things. We're told that when you give examples of how good you are, you give examples of what, what father, if his son asked for something, would give him something horrible. Of course not. Even, uh, even we know how to give good gifts. How much more do you give? But Lord, you know in this passage, because you spoke it, that, that there is one in this earth who believes he controls it. You call him the prince of this world. He's not the king, though. You know that, that he's a thief and a killer and a liar, but he tries to convince us that he's the truth teller, that he offers life. But Lord, you're the one who really does. So Lord, I ask that you, you tell us what you want us to hear. You give us what you want us to have, and you help us see what you want us to see. And if there's something on these pages that is not of you, I ask that you make it so I cannot read it. And Lord, if there's something that is of you that isn't on these pages, I pray that you, you make it clear to me that it's of you, and I will speak it to, to us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So just to give a little context, um, I'm going to read some lyrics from my second favorite lyricist, uh, Rich Mullins. Not the greatest singer in the world, but could just capture truths. So a, a song he has called If I Stand, it says this, there's more that rises in the morning than the sun and more that shines in the light or in the night than just the moon. There's more that, than just this fire here that keeps me warm. And there's a shelter that's larger than this room. And there's a loyalty that's deeper than mere sentiment and a music higher than the songs that I can sing. The stuff of earth competes for the allegiance, but I owe only to the giver of all good things. So if I stand, let me stand on the promise that you will pull me through. And if I can't, let me fall on the grace that first brought me to you. And if I sing, let me sing of the joy 
that was born in me these songs, and if I weep, let it be as a man who's longing for his home. Now, one, one more verse, and this speaks to the day of the year it is. There's more that dances in the prairies than the wind, more that pulses in the ocean than the tide. There's a love that is fiercer than the love between friends and more gentle than the mother's when the baby's at her side. And I think sometimes, at least for me, because of the pain in the world, the frustration in the world, the embattlement in the world, sometimes we see what the world gives and say, that's all there is. But Christians for eternity, for for as long as we've been Christians, so for the last 2,000 years, we recognize something that Scripture tells us, and that is that what the world gives isn't all there is. And there are some decent things that come within the world, but there are lies that the world tells us that we kind of believe not here, but experientially. So here's what Jesus says in his farewell discourse. It's not all that he says. It's a couple of chapters long, but this little section says, if you love me, you'll obey what I command. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in the Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, but Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? And I love, I love that Jesus doesn't directly answer that question because he's been telling them w- that we're going to see a difference, that some people aren't going to notice that God is God. And you will know those who know him by those who love me will obey my command. So he repeats that again. Jesus, Jesus replied, if anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My father will love him and, I, and we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the father who sent me. All this I have spoken to you while, I was still with, while I'm still with you, but the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the father will send in my name will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. I will not give as the Lord gives, or as the world gives. How's the world give? We're born into this world, and the world, and the one, and by the way, I'm going to say the one who thinks he controls it when referring to the devil for two reasons. One, He's the prince of the world, not the king, so he doesn't really control it. The king of kings does. And second, C.S. Lewis quotes somebody at the beginning of this book, Screwtape Letters, the devil cannot stand to be mocked, and I'm not going to give him any more power or authority or credit than God does. So the world and the one who thinks he controls it gives us instincts, gives us 
this idea that to do what comes natural to us. We can call it our sinful nature, but that little, you know, you, you, the old cartoons that have the angel on one side and the devil on the other, and they're kind of speaking back and forth. The devil will always try to tell you to just do what comes natural to you. If left to our own or the world's devices, we would react, never respond. We would act, we would never think. We would only do what is in our best interest and never in the interest of others. Here's just a few examples. What is the natural human response when you feel judged by someone else? Judge them back. What comes natural to us when people hurt us? Hurt them back. Or disregard them and never interact with them again. And what's the instinctive reaction when we're in pain? To cry out and look for someone else to blame. When you get news that you're ill, or when life hits hard, and it's something is devastatingly difficult, and you know you're a good person, that you don't deserve this, our natural tendency is first to be angry with God, second to blame God, and finally to hurt God because we think he hurt us. And then we give up on God because we think God gave up on us. Jesus doesn't give as the world gives. He did promise peace. He says, peace I leave with you my peace I give to you. As people of faith, when life hits hard, we can choose hope and we should seek peace. You see, the world doesn't give, it steals. It says it's a gift, but it actually takes. The world and the one who thinks he controls it is a thief. Jesus talks about this when he's talking about the good shepherd, him being the good shepherd. In John 10, verse 10, he says, the thief comes only to steal, kill, destroy. And while it's, it, it, he actually does steal, he actually does kill, he actually does destroy the lives of people, he can be more subtle. The thief tries to steal our joy, kill our hope, and destroy our faith. But Jesus came that we might have life in all of its fullness. The world doesn't give life. It takes it. First Peter Chapter 5 says this, be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him. Stand firm in the faith because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of suffering. The lion may roar. And when it does, we're on our guard. But when he's looking for prey, he's quiet. He crouches. He's stealthy. And you may get a sense, something's off, the hair on the back of your neck stands up. But then you look around at the world, you look around at everybody else, and they're like, it's all good. No, nothing to be afraid, it's good. And the world, the, the, the world and the one who thinks he controls it never tells the truth, ever. It, he, lies. Jesus says it. When he's talking in John chapter 8, he's talking to the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the teachers of the law, and they're coming back and forth, and they're trying to claim, we are Abraham's children. Abraham is our father. Jesus says, you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of all lies. All this, Jesus knows. 
All of this Jesus was addressing when he said, I do not give as the world gives. All of this Jesus was, had in his mind when he said to you and I, in this world, there will be trouble. But take heart, I've overcome the world. This is why he came, to save us from the thief, the destroyer of lives, the lion, and the liar. And while he is not in any way like the world, he loves the world, and his father gave him up for the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have everlasting life. Jesus knows all of this, and he only tells the truth. Jesus tells us that it will be excruciatingly difficult. He promises not only discomfort, not only trouble, but pain in this life. I told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome it. God can and will give you grace. He does not give as the world gives. In pain, he gives comfort. In sorrow, he gives hope. And in death, he gives resurrection. The world gives a sense of peace. At least it promises it. And sometimes it delivers in worldly ways ways that don't last, think of Social Security. That's a world promise that might be around when I retire. There's retirement savings. There's comfort in a moment. There's a nice house, a good neighborhood. There's sports for your children. There's standards for beauty and morality. They're ever-changing, but the standards are there. The world gives you a framework by which you can judge yourself. Compare yourself to others. These are fickle and of the moment, but the framework's still there. That's how the world gives. The world gives you an opportunity to see yourself both superior to other people, because you decide your own morality and you judge other people according to it, and it gives you the opportunity to be seen as a victim. How can you be both superior and a victim at the same time? We, the world convinces us that others are out to harm us. The world gives you the perception that you can control nature, that you can save the world, that you can be righteous, that you can decide your own destiny, you decide your own identity. The world gives you the belief that you can bend the will of all others to your own, demanding that they meet your demands, that they must agree with your reality, your truth. The world promises wholeness, but leaves us empty. The world gives lies and calls them truths. The world says you can have it all. In a word, the world tells you that you are God. You decide. Your will is primary. You determine your own hope. You choose your own truth. You define love. You define sin. You are the Lord of your own life. The world promises happiness, but it gives anxiety. The world promises peace, but it gives division. The world promises love, but gives pornography, lust, and temporary gratification at best. The world promises human connection, but chains us to a screen. The world promises freedom, but actually enslaves us to our own desires, whether that's lust or greed or anger or self-promotion or pride or the need for acclaim or credit. The world offers truth, but delivers delusion, both self-created and culturally imposed. 
The world promises deliverance, but deliverance from what? God. The world promises comfort, but offers a myriad of opportunities for torture, internal, external, or self-imposed. The world offers self-help, self-love, self-identity, self-deliverance. It offers you a chance to find yourself. But what it gives is a never-ending need to keep filling the void of aloneness, of shame, guilt, anger, and fear. This is how the world gives. These are the things the world promises. But Jesus says in this world, there will be trouble. Take heart. I've overcome this world. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. Jesus, on the day before he went to the cross, when he uttered these words that we call John 14, he tells them that he does not give as the world gives. The world is about to torture Jesus. The world is about to kill the Son of God. The world is about to murder the one who heals. The world is about to whip the one who gives sight to the blind. It's about to, to put nails into the hands of the one who embraced the least of these. The day before Jesus satisfied the Father's wrath towards sin, the world gave him all the anger, violence, and hatred it could muster. Yet in this moment, Jesus was at peace. In this moment, Jesus was not afraid. In this moment, he gave us, not as the world gives, the greatest gift that humanity has or could ever receive. My peace, I give you. My peace, I leave with you. You won't ever be alone. I'll send my spirit. When you're in pain, whether due to your own sin or sins against you, you will not be alone. There is nothing that can separate you from the love, mercy, grace, or peace of God. The world promises comfort but delivers pain. And Jesus promises discomfort because he's honest. He tells the truth. In this world, there will be trouble. When you face trials of many kinds, they will hate you because of me. Woe to you if all think highly of you. Just examples of how Jesus promises that it's not going to go easy. Jesus knows how the world gives. It gives trouble, trials, hatred, and anger. It turns one person or one group against the other. And he doesn't give that way. He takes away the sin of the world. He endures the shame of the cross to make you right with him, not you right with the world. He makes it, he overcame the world to give you the only option for something more, kinship, friendship, and favor with God. There will be pain. As Kevin Riggs said a couple of months ago, the heat is coming after he lost his daughter and his granddaughter in a tragic auto accident. There will be pain. There was for Jesus. There will be suffering. There was for Jesus. There will be trouble. There was for Jesus. And there will be hatred. There was for Jesus. This is how the world gives. It gives pain, suffering, trouble, and hatred. And Jesus is honest 
he tells us the truth. He says it's going to hurt. And in the midst of this, he gives peace that transcends understanding, joy that endures beyond momentary happiness, forgiveness in the midst of cancel culture. He offers to buy you back from the tyranny of the world and the devil. The world and the devil are not going to go down without a fight. But they've been overcome. They promise comfort but offer pain. Jesus acknowledges your pain. He promises not to waste it. He redeems it. He buys it back, just like the father did not waste the pain of his son. Will you receive what Jesus gives? Or do you want to continue to receive what the world has to offer? There is a theology in the scriptures of suffering. And we're Americans. We don't like it. God's job is to fix things, to make our lives easier. And if we're good people and we're faithful people, God makes things go easy for us. How'd it go for Jesus? How'd it go for Paul? How'd it go for James? Barnabas? Any of them? I don't know what's coming. But God does. And you know what he tells you? In this world, there's trouble. And if you're waiting to live in the gifts of the world, you're going to be miserable. But if we take heart, if we say, yes, Lord, I trust your way over the world's way, then we need not be afraid. We need not live in a perpetual state of thinking that the lion is coming to, to pounce. We can say, I have peace that transcends understanding. We can choose joy even in the midst of despair. I saw some things in the last couple of months with the Rigg family that just blows me away. I'm not saying that other families don't have the same kind of faith, but, but back in March and then just this last week, seeing how they embrace grief Seeing how Bill's children know and preach the word of God, how his grandchildren know and preach the word of God, how his adopted grandchildren believe, preach, and know the word of God. They've suffered in the last few months things that no family should ever have to endure, and they worshiped God in the midst of it. I don't know everything that's going on in your life. I don't. I do know that my life since I was 17 years old has been primarily defined, if I define it by the world standards, by pain, by betrayal, and by disappointment. And I could become my pathology. I could always talk about the fact that my hand doesn't work, that my shoulders don't work that my Achilles doesn't work, that I have arthritis in my ankle, that I can't see out of one eye, or that I'm almost deaf in, in both my ears. But I don't. They come up on occasion, and they are frustrating. Try to use a pair of pliers with a hand that doesn't move right. And then you drop it on your foot. Try to swing a hammer when you can't hold it. Swing a golf club that you can't keep holding on to. Someone's going to get hurt. Might not be me. Might be Kurt's uncle. I hit him with a golf ball one time. But if that is who I am, it leaves me disappointed with God because the enemy 
the devil, the one who thinks he controls this world, every time something goes wrong in your life, every time you don't get your way politically, every time something culturally doesn't go, every time the stock market goes down, every time he will whisper in your ear and say, see, God did that to you. He wants to deliver you from God. And God does deliver you from him. Jesus saves you for something. And the thief tells you that he wants to save you from something. He wants to save you from God. Does that sound familiar? Genesis chapter 3. You're not going to die. He just doesn't want you to be like him. Please study your world. Please study what it gives you. Please listen to what the TV, what the news, what social media is trying to convince you of. It's trying to convince you that you, you might not say these words, that you are God and everyone must bend their will to you. And God says, you are mine. You are freed from the tyranny of the world and the devil to be who I made you to be. You are who God says you are. It does not matter as much who you are as it matters whose you are. You belong body and soul and life and in death to your faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. And if you don't, why not? I didn't use half the list I could have come up with about how the world and the one who thinks he controls it gives, how it lies, how it manipulates, how it promises sweet nothings because they're actually nothing. The Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, the God Most High adores you and calls you to be with him is it going to hurt the rest of your Yeah. And the beauty is he tells you that. He tells you it's going to hurt. And he says, I got this. You've got this. I will comfort you when you're in sorrow. He will minister to you when you're in pain. He's overcome it all. That's the one to trust. Not the one who lies destroys, seeks to devour. Let's pray. Lord, you're God. <laughs> Lord, you are God. And in this world, there's trouble. We all seek something more. We all want more. Even those who do not believe in you are saying things like, the universe wants me to have it. I don't know when the universe got a will but Lord, we know that we're made for something more and we try to create that something more ourselves. But all that does is move us away from you. I pray, Lord, that you give us wisdom and discernment so that we see the lies for what they are. That we see the thief for who he is and that we choose the good shepherd. That we choose the God who identifies with us by becoming one of us. That we choose you, Lord because you chose us.
We pray this in the name of Jesus, through the power of the Spirit, for the glory of God our Father. Amen.